Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business is People podcast. Hey, Joe, welcome back. You are a partner at Lead Shift, and you guys are dealing with some really important topics when it comes to leveling up leadership teams. Right now, a lot of things that you guys are working with is handling cultures and situations around mergers and acquisitions. So looking forward to dive in today about that. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. So as you and I have, have talked about quite a bit over the last two months, one of the biggest gifts we've been given is the opportunity to get back in person face-to-face with our clients. And as you know, those conversations tend to get a little bit more intimate just because there's more of a flow and people tend to open up. And one of the areas that our clients are opening up more about is from that sort of CEO executive lens, what might happen if we were to go out and grow by acquisition or what would happen if we were to become acquired, right? And if you look at some of the trends in the small and middle market in particular, there's a lot of investor money still on the sidelines looking to be deployed through private equity funds, or one-off transactions. And so there's a big investment opportunity out there and an appetite for it. I was having a conversation with uh, a CEO recently and they in 2020 underwent a pretty ambitious acquisition of a smaller competitor. And we were talking about, you know, you're a year in, tell me what you're observing, how are the numbers working out? And one of the things that they were pretty startled and alarmed by was historically their organization had had about five, six, maybe 7% turnover. In the last 12 months, they were 35%. So a seven X jump in churn. That's a usually a pretty big red flag, right? For any leader. And then on top of that, when they went out to their people and started to ask about the culture and what might be leading to it, they realized that the net promoter score around the question how likely would you be to recommend this place to work, you know, to people in your ecosystem was really low, almost in the single digits. And so they put two and two together and said, okay, we clearly have a problem and it needs fixing. And so we started to troubleshoot around it. And what we kept coming back to when we asked some tough probing questions was they did not have a lot of confidence that they had developed that next level down of management below the senior leadership team to the point where they were really equipped to do things like manage change, influence for results, even when they might not have, you know, authority or they might not have, you know, that org chart level power, right? Because they're trying to do a lot with less. They're trying to be more effective and efficient in terms of how they lead. And that message from the top just was not making its way down. Uh, to the frontline employees. And so you have to start to think about, you know, how do we fix this, right? What are we doing to develop our bench? What are we doing to support and reinforce our culture? And then what are we doing to ensure that our customers are having a world-class experience? And again, it really mapped back to that sort of mid-level leadership. And I thought that was really interesting and something that we might want to unpack today a little bit. Yeah, I think communication and messaging is critical to even businesses who don't go through mergers and acquisitions. I think when they're realizing like that you, you mentioned that Pomona score, you do need to serve your employees 
and even survey your customers and prospects and like, would they want to do business with you? Would they want to buy your product? Why? You need to understand these things. These are things that we, we push upon our clients all the time because you could do as much research as possible. That's third party, but you really should get real tangible pulse on what's happening with yourself. Because I think benchmarking yourself against someone else is not going to give you what you need. You got to benchmark against yourself, not against a competitor. So when you're talking about messaging, what are you seeing in there? Like, what's the breakdown? What's happening? How can people avoid, you know, that issue? Yeah. So it's interesting because oftentimes you find out after it's already too late, meaning you've got some sort of a systemic challenge on your hands that is going to spread throughout the organization. The good news is even if you're too late to the first wave of it, you can get out ahead of the second wave. And so the first piece of communication that has to happen is all built around humility. We've seen in certain situations where leadership teams look at the data, they realize they have a problem and their ego will just not let them be humble. And it will just not let them admit that they made some mistakes. Where we see organizations start to get some traction is to, to step out in front and say, you know what? We heard you, we appreciate the candid feedback, and we realize we've made some calculated errors and we need to start to fix those things, right? So the first piece of communication has to be thank you, we're sorry, and we are taking proactive steps to fix it. I think that's the most important message that any leadership team in that situation where they recognize there's some serious flaws, could go with their next communication to their people. And we see this too. And when we are helping other businesses with their, you know, a merger acquisition where their different cultures, the messaging or the way they communicate might be different styles. Their core values are probably different. I mean, everyone's goal with core values are very, most people say, you know, that's something similar to ours, but that's not ours. So when you see all these different disconnects or different alignments, Joe, like how do you, tackle that? How should a business tackle that? Yeah. When you hear businesses talk about core values, the first thing that you want to listen for is the unified culture. Um, And I know that might sound a little corny or cheesy, right? Because especially when you're in a competitive business, it's not always easy to apply some of the softer parts of your culture. And yet they're still critical. When I am working with an organization and I hear the term legacy, it like makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because what that tells me is that the old way of doing things or the way from company A, the way from company B are still almost like accepted as part of the cultural norms. And to me, that's a huge red flag. I was in the financial services business for a long time. And I remember one of our big clients was Morgan Stanley after they had at one point been Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, right? And you always hear the different offices of financial advisors referred to as, well, that's a legacy Smith Barney office, or that's a legacy Morgan Stanley office. And to their credit, they knew that they had to fix that right away because if you were a client going into one of those offices, you were hearing very different things. You were being uh, serviced in a very different way, as a very different type of culture. And Thankfully, they were able to, within a couple of years of that, 
really reinvented under the Morgan Stanley way and the Morgan Stanley brand. But, you know, on a smaller scale, that happens all the time. You know, bank one acquires bank two. Well, then there's the legacy bank one people and legacy bank two people. And you can't have that because that will make its way to the customer base. And the second they realize that they're going into two different cultures, potentially branch to branch, it makes them nervous in any business that makes customers nervous. Now we're talking about the customer experience. So the first thing that I listen for is, is the culture unified? Are they referring to themselves as company X, right? Because it can't be former company A or former company B. Yeah, and we do recommend people when there's a change to say, you know, there's a PR article, you put it on the website, but it should only live there for max one year. It really depends on your industry. So you might need to leave it longer depending on your sure. marketplace and stuff. But yeah, and eventually you got to take it off, right? Because again, you don't want to confuse the marketplace and your clients. But a lot of it starts internally to your point, Joe. It's like training, working with the HR team, working with your, your marketing, branding team, your customer success team, whoever all the different people are to be beating the same drum, saying the same thing, doing the same cadence, right? So that could be video series, internal video series, where you're constantly sending this out to remind people, like whatever, if, if it's internal newsletters or whatever, say, hey guys, just, just remind you, like, here's our messaging, here's how we're positioning ourselves. And, and people learn in different ways. They, some people like to read information. Some people like to listen to information. Some people like to watch information. So we always recommend when you're trying to teach and get people to consume content, give it those three formats. Because that way you hit all the buckets of how people learn. And you can't just assume, hey, I sent this video. They should have watched it. That might not be how they learn. You might also, the fourth one is you might have to do a live training as well. So like live training versus just these elements of digital uh, virtual training. Um, what are the types of styles that you've seen resonate the best with people when it comes to accepting, you know, these new things? What type of like formats have you seen, Joe? Yeah. So I, I, I think that the formats are all the common thread between the successful ones are really opportunistic. I think one of the, the things that really great leadership teams do when they're almost repositioning the organization as new is they go out to their people and they help them promote the brand, not just internally to each other, but every conversation is almost a sales conversation, right? So they give them the tools to say, hey, you know, we were so-and-so, we were so-and-so, now we're this new brand. And they give them the digital tools, right? For their signatures and their email. They give them the banners for their LinkedIn page. They do the little things like, hey, we're going out and make sure that on LinkedIn, when you type in the name of this company, this icon with the new brand is the only thing that pops up, right? When we're going out to do an event in the marketplace, I, I don't want to see you wearing the t-shirt from your old company, right? You work for this new organization now, you work for this new brand. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to print the t-shirt. I'm going to give it to you. So when we go to our next event, we all have the same, what we call front of t-shirt, right? We all have that same kind of logo out in front. So it's really not just about like, you don't want to make it punitive to talk about the old way. You want to make it empowering and opportunistic to talk about the new way of doing things. So I think just being really proactive from a leadership standpoint on, we're not just going to go out and tell them they've got to promote the new brand. We're going to give them the tools and also give them the playbook of how they should be talking about it. 
you know, people always say, well, I hate how my message has gotten out of control. Well, have you coached people on how to talk about your brand? How are you doing that? Right. And I know that that bleeds a lot into the work you do, but, you know, kind of circling back to what I was talking about earlier, like this leadership team that's struggling with the middle management hadn't given them the tools and hadn't given them the playbook yet on how to succeed in this new ecosystem. And then they saw, we didn't prepare them for that. What could we have done to prepare them for that, right? And now you're playing catch up as opposed to playing offense and getting out ahead of it saying, we're gonna merge, the deal's gonna close in three months. What are we doing today to prepare leadership, next level, front lines people to really take this new brand and run with it? Is there like a high level checklist, Joe, that you can kind of rattle off to say like, okay, here's how you guys should prepare and be ready to do this. I mean, I'm not trying to simplify. I know it's complex, no, but, I know what but, you mean. but if you can, cause you know, le- leaders who are, who are working with you, they're nervous, right? So it's like, how do you simplify? So they're like, this is overwhelming. We're going through this huge murder. What do we do? So like, you know, how do you keep it really simple and focused for them? I would go back to kind of old school HubSpot inbound marketing concepts, which is okay. If we're in the same room with senior leadership, can we all recite and proudly rattle off the pillars of our business? Can we put ourselves in the shoes of our customers very quickly and say, here's our why, here's why we exist, here's what we do, but under the same banner with the new brand. And then we need to go to that next level down of leadership and we need to do a heat check on them to get a sense of how well they are prepared to go out and talk about that new brand, not just with customers, right? But internally, right? So that manager A, manager B, director A, director B, take this message and bring it into their business unit with a lot of confidence, but it starts with the leadership team. Can we recite our pillars? Can we recite the tagline? Can we recite the why behind what we do and do it all through the lens of the customer and leadership teams that do that? That should be the very first item on the checklist is, repositioning within the company, why we exist, everything will be built off that foundation. But a lot of times that step gets skipped. And it sounds so simple, Joe, but it's not. I mean, I even had challenges when we did like our 2.0 of our company and updated some of our core values and stuff like that. So you have to just constantly put it out there multiple times. And I have this running saying, and I say, remind people 14 times. It's just to kind of over-communicate because people might hear it three times, but they might need to hear it five times. Like everyone's right. different. Uh, I know my wife needs to tell me a thousand times. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, and my team knows me. So they're like, oh, we got to remind Khan multiple times. It's, it's just, I think with, with leaders, there's a lot of things that are on their plate and, but the workers are busy too. I'm not, not saying that they're not busy. So it's the more that you can communicate, the more you can say something that just better becomes osmosis. And just gets absorbed through the culture so that when they are client facing or out in the, you know, on their personal time and says, Hey, who do you work with? They recite it with passion, with no hesitation, that type of impression that you leave when someone can just talk about the culture and the brand with ease is so much more powerful than someone that has to think about it. You know, I'm going to go right back to something you said earlier, Tom. Take advantage of the different types of learning styles, because if I want to get 200 people to sing the same song, well, I might have to teach it to them in five different languages. I might have to teach it to them using eight different instruments. But by the end of it, they should know the chorus the same way, right? That should be the common thread. 
And so when you talk about, hey, use video, use text, use like, if I'm the CEO of a business, 200 people, I want to get, I'm sending everyone the same text message, the same email and the same video. And I'm going to record that video myself talking about that brand, right? And then I'm going to share it with my leadership team. And then I'm going to prepare my leadership team to share with the next level on down. But like, it's got to start at the top, right? And it's got to be done through those multiple learning modalities to ensure we've given everyone 14 cracks at the apple here. We've done this 14 times. We've made sure that we have left no shadow of a doubt who we are, why we exist, and how we create value for customers. And if you go through that simple exercise early, that's to me, and I, I know that I'm probably preaching the choir, that's the foundation to build a, a message on and a brand on, especially when you go through an event, like an acquisition where multiple cultures are being meshed together. And you can evolve it too. Like, it's okay. It's not about like our culture is better than yours, which one we are going to be. You evolve it and you take the best together and you can create a new culture. It's really like culture 2.0. You can blend your core values. It comes down to having that conversation with all the key stakeholders, which should be in every single level from top all the way down to the employee that's on the lower run, because they're all engaging with customers at different aspects and they're all supporting customers if they're not front-facing behind to still bring success to that customer. So you got to get that holistic feedback. Speaking to net promoter score, right? Surveying, I think creating something together, it's like this, um, like the phoenix coming out of the ashes. Like here's the new yes. company, the new brand. We came together and did this. And it can be challenging. I'm sure you've done these and you, you see the dynamics are, there's some pushback. What, what's the mental switch that you see that people need to just say, okay, we got to just embrace this. Cause I think there's, like you mentioned, sometimes there's this resistance. Yeah. And you know, this kind of gets back to some of the fundamentals about understanding behavior, which plays a big role in the work that we do. We've talked about things like the predictive index before where when the predictive index was created and a lot of these types of tools were created, one of the core areas of comfort, discomfort, they will tell you about is change management, right? And you're going to have a cohort of people in the organization who are comfortable with change, who embrace change, who are actually stimulated and energized by change. And then you're going to have people in the organization who change makes them uncomfortable. Even if they're the smartest, most polished people in the organization, the physical act of changing process and the way things are done, new brand, new logo, whatever it is, new standard operating procedure, it creates physical discomfort, anxiety, stress, and it erodes performance. So you have to prepare people for change differently. There are some common threads in how people process change, but there are, are very big dispersions in the speed at which people can handle change. So you've got to front run it for the people that are less comfortable with it. And for the people that are more comfortable with it, you know, you're more likely to find success by giving them time to prepare for it than you would be to say, hey, we need all the people to adapt to change right away, right? You really want to make sure you manage your time wisely and how you stage things out because of the element of people's comfort or discomfort with change. Can you give us a little like example of that, Joe? Because like, like you have a room, right? Like you said, there are definitely people who are just more technical, need time to digest it, who 
who don't embrace change as easily, they don't mind it. They just take time versus other ones who get, are more agile. Yeah. I mean, you're all in this room and you're like, okay, here's our time frame, Here's our, our chart and milestones. But do you have to tackle that project or the way you're, you're doing this in two different ways? Give us an example, like how you guys do that. Cause I mean, one way doesn't service the other, right? So it, it, it how do you appease both groups? Yeah. So I, I think uh, to give you a good example would be, let's say you have a software company, right? And you've got the sales team on one hand, and then you've got, say, the finance team on another, right? Typically, folks in software sales tend to be more comfortable with change. They're a little bit more fast-paced, hard-charging, driving, urgent, right? They have low behavioral patience. Typically, folks that are working in like accounting or even in like operations, folks that are more process-driven, right, who keeps the train off and on the tracks as opposed to off like the salespeople like to push it, they tend to be have more high behavioral patients and they're more process-driven. So I might think about from a leadership perspective saying, okay, I'm, I'm sitting with my head of sales. I don't want to distract them with something that's not going to be happening yet. And I know they're okay materially with change. I'm going to maybe even minimize the importance of this new brand for them and just say, look, I want you filling the pipeline. And just an FYI, you can see the writings on the wall, right? You can read the news, you know, we're going to have some sort of a merger soon. Just keep doing what you're doing and we'll let you know when you need to pivot to the new brand, right? But we'll give it to you in a shorter window because I actually know that you do your best work when you have that pressure for time because it focuses this group. So I'm going to handle this group one way, whereas now I'm looking at my CFO saying, okay, hey, we do have to do a little planning here because over the next six months, these three benchmarks are going to get hit and we're going to be changing process. We're going to be changing email addresses. We're going to be changing passwords. We're going to be bringing a new technology. We might go to a new accounting system for some of these people, right? We're going to start to prepare them for what we know is going to fundamentally change now so that day one, when we hit our acquisition, we don't have a bunch of people who are like looking at us, the deer in headlights, like, why didn't you tell us this was coming? Right. And that way it's not going to distract them from the work. It's going to energize them and it's going to allow them to accept the change that's coming and prepare for it. Right. Because if I try to give everyone that same experience, if I slow it down so much for the high patience people, they'll start to make mistakes because they'll get distracted from what they should be doing, which is filling the pipeline. But if I go to last minute for the high patience people, they're going to start to make mistakes because all that change creates too much risk. So it's playing chess and saying, what does this group need because of their behavioral DNA? What does this group need because of their behavioral DNA? all with the target data, the closing of the acquisition or the launch of the new brand saying, I'm going to get to the same place with both groups, but I've got to manage my time with both differently. And also make it, I think, comfortable for people to openly speak up about it. I think sometimes people, just because they don't say anything, does not mean they're accepting it. Like you have to ask people, some right. people could break like halfway through it. They could also just have a, an anxiety attack. They're like, well, this is way too much for me. So it's so important going through this process when there's a lot of change, uh, as you know, Joe, is to really communicate and say, any feedback? Are you guys feeling okay about this? How's the mm -hmm. workload? Like, you know, because people could feel burnt out. Now, this is a lot of great information. I know we can go, go a lot deeper 
in this episode, but we'll have more to come. And if people want to get a hold of you, Joe, you know, if they're really going through this now and they need your help, you know, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. So um, our email address hasn't officially changed over yet. So it's still Joe at the cornerstone group, Inc.com. You know, text me 508-340-1247. And then once we announce fully our new lead shift brand, which is going to roll out in probably early to mid-September, we'll get the new lead shift communication out there to the masses. Exciting stuff up and up. Yeah, and then we'll have all the information in, in the show notes too, Joe, so people can find that information. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me. An awesome topic to tackle. And as always, total pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, no problem. Good luck with everything. Thanks. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, email me at podcast at instinctagency.com or message me on LinkedIn. Join the community and continue the conversation with myself and our experts in the 